0: Hey, welcome to the Greg Steer Youth Ministry Podcast. I really encourage you uh, to listen to this podcast, to subscribe to it, to rate it, to review it, to get the word out on social media. Help us spread the word that it's time for a revolution in youth ministry. And I'm super excited about this summer podcast series that we're gonna be doing. It's gonna be all based on a movement that rocked our world called Movements That Change the World, Uh, by Steve Addison. And in this book, he talks about five keys to movements throughout history. And we see them rooted in scripture. Uh, And we actually did our first Gospel Advancing Summit based on these five truths. So we're gonna be unpacking those over the course of this summer. So today, you're gonna hear my talk at the summit uh, based on white hot faith. We dive into the story of Abraham and how God used him Uh, in such a powerful way, but it was all fueled by his white, hot faith. So check it out. I think that someday those 95 of you who are here in this room are going to look back to this moment and say, I was there. I was there at the first gospel advancing summit. We've been wanting to do something like this for years, but now is the time. And I believe it's time for a revolution and a transformation in the way that youth ministry is done across the United States and around the world. And you're going to be part of this original DNA. Whatever God does here over the next few days, you're going to be able to look back and say, I was there. I believe God's going to use this as a historic few days for his maximum glory. So one more time, let's pray and let's sanctify this time together. Father, would you make much of Jesus over the next few days? Would you advance your kingdom through us? Would you stretch our thinking? Would you infuse creativity into our minds? And would you help us be a part of the coming revolution in youth ministry? Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I love the fact that we're in the mountaineering center at the base of the Rocky Mountains. If you go downstairs, there's a little mountaineering museum with a mock-up of Mount Everest and all sorts of cool mountaineering stuff. And we wanted you to experience this feel of being in or by or at the base of the Rocky Mountains for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons we just love the mountains because we live in Colorado. You know, I, I was born and raised in the Denver area and my family, we love the mountains. I don't understand people who live in Denver and don't go to the mountains. It's like living on the beach and not going in the water, right? We love the Rocky Mountains. We love to hike, Matter of fact, the first full week of every June, since my kids were little, my in-laws have a timeshare at the, yes, they gave in to the 90 minute timeshare presentation. Praise God, because we get to use it. Uh, and every full week of, uh, first full week of June, we go up as a family with, with our, uh, our grand, uh, their grandparents, the kids' grandparents, and all of us, and we, we we hike. We go to the Rocky Mountain National Park, and we go on hiking trails all over the place. And we absolutely love it. And early on, when my kids were little, uh, we discovered these little hiking patches. I think we got a picture of them. These little hiking patches. I remember Oozle Falls in the Rocky Mountain National Park. And we were buying these patches. So if the kids do a trail, they get a patch when they're little. And the lady selling me the patches gave me the best advice. She said, here's the deal. They gotta earn their patch. If you wanna do this right, you gotta get them to earn their patch. You gotta give them the three rules of hiking. Number one, they can't complain. When they're on their trail, they cannot complain. Number two, they cannot ask, are we there yet? (laughs) And number three, they gotta do the whole hike under their own power or they don't get a patch. So from the time my kids were little, we enacted those three rules and those rules worked because my kids wanted to earn that patch. And I remember once we were on Deer Creek Trail and uh, Deer Mountain Trail and in April and Estes Park snow was still on the ground. Kaylee was about five or six years old, my daughter, and it was a six mile hike and it was pretty intense and she was having a hard time. But she wasn't complaining. She wasn't asking, are we there yet? And I'll never forget, almost halfway through the hike, she collapsed face first in a puddle and just laid there. And I'm like, Kaylee, Kaylee, let me pick you up and carry you. And she's a girly girl. But in that moment, she became the Terminator. She pushed up and she goes, I need my patch. And she earned that patch, right? She wanted to earn that patch. And I'm going to tell you something. That hike and those hikes gave my kids more and more confidence to where they feel they could tackle any mountain. Because hiking those smaller trails gave them faith that they could tackle the bigger trails. Their faith increased over time. See, when you climb a mountain of vision, you need the fire of faith, not in your own abilities, but in the power of God. Because we're going to be facing a different mountain together that we're seeking to climb. Our vision is every teen everywhere here in the gospel from a friend. It's a billion teens. That's a big mountain and it requires white hot faith to conquer it. But movements that change the world are led by those who have white hot faith. The Apostle Paul had a white hot faith that God could use him to reach the Gentiles. St. Patrick had a white hot faith that God could use him to reach the pagan Irish. Martin Luther had a white hot faith that God could use him to reach the Catholics. John Wesley had a white hot faith that God could use him to reach the United States. Chuck Smith had a white hot faith that God could use him to reach the hippies. And Billy Graham had a white hot faith that God could use him to reach all across the world. do you have faith that God can use you to reach the next generation? We must have a white hot faith just like Abraham. Abraham had a white hot faith. And he too climbed a mountain, Mount Moriah, which is right now where, where the city of Jerusalem is upon. The Temple Mount is at the, the top of Mount Moriah where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son. And it's that account we read in Genesis 22 of Abraham, the patriarch with a white hot faith to conquer this mountain and do what God called him to do. Genesis 22:1. sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love Isaac and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go and, and I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, "Uh, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I love this passage. I love this passage for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons I love it is it preaches really well because Abraham literally carries a knife and fire up the mountain. He's carrying that fire, literal fire, but he's also carrying the fire of faith in his heart. When you climb the mountain of vision, you need the fire of faith. And there are four truths we're going to discover in this passage that will help us get a white hot faith. Truth number one, a white hot faith that increases over time, a white hot faith that increases over time. Did you know that different colors of flames have different levels of heat? According to the website, sciencing, a bright red flame burns at seven 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, an orange flame burns at 2,000 degrees, a bright yellow flame burns at 2,300 degrees, and a white hot flame burns at 2,700 degrees. That means the difference between a red hot flame and a white hot flame flame is 1,000 degrees. So let me ask you the question, how hot is your faith? Do you have a red hot faith? Do you have a white-hot faith? Jesus recognized different levels of faith. With his disciples, when they were freaked out, while they were going in the boat over the Sea of Galilee and the storm hit, ye of little faith. Matthew 15, 21 through 28, he declares a Canaanite woman who believed Jesus could heal her demon-possessed daughter, he said, you had great faith. Where's your faith on, where's your faith on the flame scale?" But I want to encourage you with something. Abraham's faith didn't start out as white hot. Genesis 12, 1 through 5, we see that Abraham had enough faith to leave his homeland and to head wherever God would lead him at the age of 75. It's a red hot faith. Genesis 15, 6, he believed God. He counted, God counted him as righteousness. Red hot faith. Genesis 18, 20 through 33, he had enough faith to negotiate with the Lord in prayer. But we also see setbacks in his faith. We see in Genesis 16, 4, he compromised by having sex with Hagar in order to fill God's promise of a descendant to the means of the flesh. In Genesis 17, 17, he literally laughed at God's promise that he and Sarah would have a child when he was 100 years old. In Genesis 20, he lied about his wife and told King Abimelech that she was his sister. So we see that even the father of faith The OGG, the original gospel gangster, Abraham himself at times struggled in faith, but over time, his faith increased to the point where we read in Romans 4.20. I love this. May this be said of us. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. That means continually strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. His faith went from a red hot faith to an orange hot faith to a yellow hot faith. And over time, 25 years after he believed God and was counted in his righteousness, we're in Genesis 22 where he's got a white hot faith. How did he get that? You know, Steve Addison in the book Movements That Change the World. If you've not read that book, you need to read that book because it's the basis of this whole week what we're talking about. These five characteristics of movements that change the world, world. The first one is white hot faith. And then we're going to unpack the other four the rest of this week. You got to read this book. But Steve Addison talks about how do you increase your faith? He said two ways through process and crisis. What is process? That's the rhythm of righteousness we're seeking to infuse into every aspect of our lives. Steve Addison put it this way spiritual disciplines may vary from movement to movement, but they're all activities that deepen our relationship with God. I want us to stop. I'm I'm the dare to share guy. I'm super excited about sharing Christ with anyone and everyone. But I want to say this first. Listen, if we want to go far with the gospel of Christ, we must go deep with the person of Christ. Deep roots in Jesus gives us branches that stretch far and produce much fruit. We need spiritual disciplines like fasting and prayer, reading, studying, meditating on God's word, silence, solitude, contemplation. You got to watch the fire or it will go out. You know, growing up every summer, I'd look forward to going with my grandfather and grandmother deep into the Rocky Mountains for two weeks. The Ford F-150 truck and a camper. He'd always make a fire. And it was a privilege when I was a little kid when he would tell me, okay, Greg, it's your turn to watch the fire. And you know what that meant? I got I to gotta keep it burning. I had to get a stick and I had to move those logs around when they started kind of going out to kind of reignite. And when they started getting burned up and all the, all the fresh wood started getting burnt down to, to, the, to the ashes, I'd take another piece of wood or I'd go find some more, more wood in the forest and I'd bring it and I'd put it on there and I'd keep watching the fire because if you don't watch the fire, the fire goes out what's true with the campfire is true of our spiritual walk with Christ. We got to watch the fire. We got to stoke that fire. We got to be up or in the morning reading God's word or up late at night or whenever it is that you do it, we got to go on prayer walks or journaling or however it is that you do it. We got to fast. We got to think. We got to contemplate. We got to go deep with God. Sometimes we forget that in the busyness of ministry. Why don't we have a white-hot faith? Because we let the fire go out. Watch the fire. Are you watching it? Are you committed to it? Are you consistent with it? The second key to developing a white-hot faith, according to Steve Addison, first is process. The second is crisis. There's something about crisis that increases our faith or destroys it. I remember my grandpa, we'd be up late at night and that fire was stoked. He'd get a little half smile on his face. He'd go over and get a cup or a can. It was empty. He'd pour some kerosene in it. He'd walk over to that fire and he would just pour that kerosene on it. And woof, it went up. Crisis is like that cup of kerosene that God sometimes pours on our situation, but you know what? It can really increase our faith. I want you to stop and think about the trial you're going through right now. Every problem we face, this is why I love James 1. James 1 is very clear. Consider a pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because it's going to build your faith. It's going to make you spiritually mature. And then later on, it says, listen, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God doesn't tempt anyone, but everyone's tempted when they're dragged away by their own lust and enticed. You know, the core word, the, the root word for trial and temptation are the same word. You know what James 1 is saying? Every problem you face is either a trial to build you or a temptation to destroy you depending on how you respond. So whatever problem or trial you're going through right now, let it be a trial to build your faith, to give you that white hot faith. I think I dare to share. I think of 2008, 2009, the great recession. Let me tell you, we're very major donor driven. And our major donors lost their money. And we, our, our donated income got sliced in half. We went from 48 employees to 23 employees. We ran out of money. We had $2,000 in the bank. We had a $400,000 a month burn rate at the time. And we cannot take a loan. It's in our bylaws. And out of desperation in this crisis, I learned how to pray. And I thank God for that crisis because you know what? It taught me to pray. And it pushed me closer to Christ and it turned my faith from a red hot faith to more of a white hot faith because of that crisis. God took that kerosene and poured it on that fire and it built my faith. Let whatever trial you're facing now build your faith. A white hot faith that intensifies over time. Just like Abraham's. A white hot faith that burns in the face of ice cold realities. Let me just tell you, there's a certain mountain in Colorado, a type of mountain that we have nicknamed 14ers. Now, maybe you don't know about 14ers, but 14ers are mountains that are 14,000 foot high or higher. That is really high. There's 58 14ers uh, in Colorado. Some people attempt to climb all of them. And it is a feat because if you've ever, anybody in here ever climbed a 14 er before, let me see your hands. Okay, got some hands in here. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When you hit that 10,000 foot barrier, it's like going through a wall. All of a sudden you get a headache. All of a sudden you start moving slower. And the higher you go up that mountain, the slower that you move. A lot of people struggle with altitude sickness. And literally in Denver, when you come from the flatlands to Denver, you can get a bad, bad headache. And if you go from Denver up to a 14er, you could die. I'll never forget my son and I, when we climbed our first 14er, we pulled up to Gray's Peak and we looked at it and the ice cold reality of how big that was struck us both. And then we began to walk and we hit that 10,000 foot barrier and we both got headaches Jeremy started feeling sick, and we would stop to get a breath after at first after 100 steps, then 75, then 50, then 25, then 10, and finally we made it to the top. And I'll never forget asking Jeremy, "You just conquered your first 14er. How do you feel?" And he said, "Nauseous," and he collapsed. But we faced the ice cold reality, and by God's grace conquered it. So did Abraham. What were Abraham's ice cold realities? One, the ice cold reality that he would never actually inherit the promised land on this side of eternity, according to Hebrews 11, 8 through through 11. Secondly, the ice cold reality that his body was good as dead when he was promised to have a child. Romans 419, it says without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. In our quest to conquer this mountain of every teen everywhere here in the gospel from a friend, we have to face the ice cold reality. Let me give you some ice cold realities. The ice cold reality of the spiritual state of Gen Z both inside and outside the church. Inside the church, we have a million Christian teens per year leaving their faith. According to Pine Tops Foundation, the report greatopportunity.org, a million Christian teens per year are not just leaving the church, they're leaving Christianity. Outside the church, we have an increasingly post-Christian, even anti-Christian culture. George Barna calls this generation, Gen Z, the first post-Christian generation in the history of the United States. We got to face the reality, just like pulling up to that 14er, we got to face the reality that we are losing. We're losing our kids and we're not reaching the next generation. There's another ice-cold reality we got to face. It's the failure of youth ministry. Mark Center III wrote a book called The Coming Revolution in Youth Ministry. Listen to what he writes. There's no way in which the programs and youth ministry tactics currently being used will ever stem the moral tidal wave of of corruption that has encompassed our teenagers. Guess what? Mark Center wrote this book 30 years ago. long before social media exploded onto the scene. In the 30 years this book has been written, not much has changed. We have a strategy that stuck in the 80s. Youth ministry has utterly and drastically failed. I just wrote a book called The Failure of Youth Ministry and How to Fix It. And I am positive it can be fixed, but we gotta face the brutal reality. And thirdly, the ice cold reality the bigness of the goal one billion teenagers. That makes Mount Everest look like an anthill. That is a big goal. So, how do we maintain a white hot faith in the midst of such ice cold realities? Allow me to introduce you to a principle, it's called the Stockdale Paradox. The Stockdale Paradox is mentioned in the book, Good to Great, written by Jim Collins. It's a story of Vice Admiral James Stockdale. He was captured as a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. He was tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment from 1965 to 1973. He lived out the war with no prisoner's rights, no set release date, no certainty certainty as whether or not he would ever survive to see his family again. And when Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, asked him what got you through, he said it was this, face the brutal reality, but don't lose hope that in the end you will overcome. He said, you know who died as prisoners of war? It was the optimists who said, we'll be released by Christmas and Christmas would come and go and they'd still not be released. We'll be released by Easter. Easter would come and go and they still would not be released and soon they gave up. When it comes to youth ministry, don't be a starry-eyed optimist. Refuse to be a grumpy pessimist. Choose to be a hope-filled realist. We have a major problem on our hands and that is the failure of youth ministry. But we will, lose, we will not lose hope that in the end, by God's grace, based on God's word, through the power of the gospel and the potential of the Holy Spirit, we will overcome. The third characteristic of a white hot faith is this, a white hot faith that is willing to go the whole way. Abraham was willing to go the whole way. He was willing to kill his son and burn his son as a burnt offering. That's something I missed, I'll be honest with you. That's something that I missed when I was studying the text originally, that that Abraham was not just gonna sacrifice his son, he was gonna offer his son as a burnt offering. He was gonna set his son ablaze on the altar because he believed, if you look in Hebrews 11, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would embrace the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac, your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the the dead. Listen, here's the deal. Abraham believed God was going to raise Isaac up, not just from the dead, but from the ashes. So he was willing to go the whole way and kill and burn his son as a burnt offering. Earlier, we learned from Steve Addison that to increase our faith, two things are needed, process and crisis. But based on this passage, I would add a third key. Here it is. Risk-taking, faith-stretching choices. That's what happened to Abraham on Mount Moriah. James 2, 21 and 22. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. It wasn't just process. It wasn't just crisis. It was that moment of a faith stretching decision to kill and burn his son. Because God told him to. And thank God that God stopped him. But he was going to go the whole way. What choices must you make this week to go the whole way? To make the burnt offering? Man, when I look around this room, I see youth leaders who've been willing to go the whole way. I think of John Burdett, good old Kentucky boy, had a youth ministry, decided to go the whole way with gospel advancing. Saw that youth ministry thrive, decided to plant a church, planted a church, took his whole church staff out to lead the cause so they could become gospel advancing. That began to grow and go. And so he took a step of faith into a national ministry. Then eventually took a step of faith to become part of Dare to Share. And now he's taking a step of faith to do his own ministry, to train churches, church wide, how to put these values into place. I think of Brian Baldwin. I remember when I first met Brian Baldwin in Oklahoma, I thought he was crazy. You know, they say a fanatic is someone who won't change his mind and won't change the subject. Well, he would not change the subject. He was all about the gospel and he kept bringing stuff up to me. And I thought, who is this guy? And he would ask questions and pester and pester until he got the answer. And then you know what he would do? He'd go out back and implement it. Even if it bucked in the face of the traditional youth ministry system of Oklahoma, he began to do that. And now he's developing apps and his whole team. He's got a whole army of Oklahomans, Hokies out here, ready to change the world who are as crazy as him. I think of Steve and Susanna, sa Grace Point. Steve and Suzanne, listen, they are all about the gospel. They 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 lead they lead a ministry of college students, Acts 2 churches, Grace Point churches. There's on 70 or 75 churches across America. Their goal is an Acts 2 church in, in every college town. And they started this thing called area youth ministry because they, they discovered that there were immigrant churches in the area that could not afford a youth pastor. And they didn't know how to train them. So they were Googling online or something. They discovered dare to share. And I was going to go preach at uh, the uh, uh, youth pastor summit a couple years back. And he got a hold of me somehow and said, you're going to go I go, yeah. He goes, I'm going to come meet you. I'm flying down today. I wasn't going to go. I'm coming. And we came and we had lunch or something. He goes, I'm in. I don't know what that means, but he's in. When when Steve says he's in, he's in. And he took all this stuff and began to multiply it. Now, I'm telling you, they, they have 1,500 college staff across America that are fully gospelized that are going to take every college campus for Christ because they're willing to go the whole way. I think of Rinaldin from Gallup, New Mexico. I've been praying for this guy because you met me years ago, St. Louis, your daughter comes up to me and said, hey, we did Dare to Share Live on the reservation in Gallup, New Mexico. And I have a heart for the Native American kids because I think they got ripped off and I feel so bad for what's happening and the brokenness on these reservations. Her dad comes up, R- Rinaldin, and says, hey, we did Dare to Share Live. And guess what? We go out every month sharing the gospel on the reservation. Nobody else does that. And I wish I'd have got your name and number. Because I've prayed about it and I've quoted that story again and again. And out here greeting youth leaders coming in, you come walking up. And you reminded me of who you were. And we talked about you're gonna be the guy by God's grace who takes this stuff back to the reservation. We're gonna see revival on these reservations all across America. And it's gonna be led through Native American students, teenagers, and youth leaders that are ready to rock. God is up to something. I think of Gerard Gunter. Memphis. The white cop shoots a black kid on their church property and he flips it. He starts a righteous riot. They start prayer protesting throughout the city. They start sharing the gospel with everybody. They said, we don't tear down buildings. We tear down strongholds. They build relationships with law enforcement. They start taking this to other cities. Pretty soon, there's 400 kids at a sea at the poll rally. And these kids are just rocking. I, I, I'm sure he's going to tell you more of the story. But let me tell you, this guy is willing to go the whole way. What are you willing to do? To burn that offering. Maybe it's time to turn down a high-paying secular job so you can stay in youth ministry. Maybe it's time to stay in it so you can fund youth ministry. (laughs) Maybe it's to accept that ministry opportunity across the country, which means uprooting everything. Maybe it's starting that gospel-advancing network or breaking free from that network that's institutionalized so you can start a gospel-advancing one. Maybe it's having that difficult talk with your pastor about clearing the way for a different type of youth ministry. What do you need to burn to increase that white-hot faith? Brennan Manning once said, the defining moments of my life have not been my sins or my successes. They've been a depressingly small number of decisions that involved real risk. Are you like Abraham willing to go the whole way and make that burnt offering? Whatever it is for you. And finally, a white hot faith that is fueled by hope and a substitute. I love the conversation Abraham and Isaac had on the way up Mount Moriah. Powerful father-son conversation that makes the point well. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the, wood, the fire and wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Although Abraham was convinced he'd have to kill and then burn his son on the altar, he knew that God would not only raise up his son from the ashes, but provide a proper substitute. And sure enough, right after Abraham showed himself willing to sacrifice his son, God provides a ram caught in the thicket. This ram became a God-ordained substitute for Isaac. This ram points to Jesus, who is a God-ordained substitute for our sins on the cross. Everywhere you dig your hand in the dirt of scripture, you will find a scarlet cord. If you pull it up and follow it, it ends wrapped around a bloodstained cross. Our hope for a substitute. May that be true of our sermons. May it be true of our lives. May it be a true of our programs. May it be true of our movement. May our hope for a substitute drive everything we do and increase our faith. It is that simple gospel that Jesus died in our place for our sin that fans our faith from red hot to white hot. That's why we share the simple gospel. It fans the flame. That's why as sophisticated as we may get at Dare to Share with learning platforms and apps and all that other stuff that is great. Let me tell you, it all goes back to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our ram caught in the thicket. Jesus is the blood on our doorpost. Jesus is the one who died on the cross in our place for our sins. It's all about Jesus. Right, Doug Holliday? It's all about Jesus. And that reality turns our faith white hot. When we're willing to climb the mountain of vision with a fire of a white hot faith, that fire intensifies over time through crisis and process. It burns in spite of ice cold realities. You're willing to go the whole way with your burnt offering. And finally your fire is fueled by hope in a substitute. When you're willing to do that, guess what? You like Abraham Will be rewarded. You like my son and daughter, they got a patch. You're gonna be rewarded with something else, not a patch. You're gonna be rewarded with a crown. This is a crown I keep in my office to remind the staff who's in charge. No, I don't. Uh, this is a, <laughs> no. Nope. This is the crown I keep in my office to remind me of the crowns that I long to receive at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, the website, God Questions, has got some really cool stuff on it about crowns. It talks about there's five kinds of crowns we can receive. The imperishable crown, we read about that in 1 Corinthians 9.25. The crown of righteousness, we read about that in 2 Timothy 4.8. The crown of glory, we read about that crown in 1 Peter 5, 4. The crown of life, we read about that in Revelation two ten and James 1.12. And before you stop and say, well, I don't care about crowns, you should. And before you stop and say, it doesn't matter, we're going we're to throw our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Listen, that's bad theology. We're not. You read in Revelation 4 and 5, the 24 elders around the throne. That every time the four creatures say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that's when the 24 elders take their crowns and lay them before the feet of Jesus. But the implication is they pick them back up again. And even if that is an antiphonal cue for all of heaven to do the same, we're going to carry our crowns with us all throughout eternity. We're going to have this bling to remind ourselves of what God did through us for his maximum glory. And do not rob Jesus of the, of the joy of giving you that crown or these crowns on that day because he's going to love giving those to us and we're going to love wearing them because we're going to realize how much joy it gave Jesus to crown us with these crowns that he accomplished through us for his maximum glory. Do not underestimate these crowns. But my favorite crown is the final crown. It's the crown of rejoicing. First Thessalonians 2:19, Paul writes, "For what is our hope or joy, our crown of rejoicing, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The ultimate crown, I believe, is not a literal crown. The ultimate crown, the fifth crown, are the people whose lives have been transformed through our ministry to them, by us advancing the gospel, by us training teenagers to advance the gospel. The ultimate crown is someday in heaven when we see the full impact of every step toward gospel advancing, every student trained, when we hear stories, I mean, I hear a story like this from Morgan, and it warms my heart. But how many stories are out there from students that you have ministered to and students that they have reached and that they have reached the ripple effects, I believe, will reverberate throughout eternity. 1988, there was a song called Thank You that became super popular. It's about being rewarded with this crown of rejoicing in heaven. I rewrote the second half of the lyrics to tie in with our gospel advancing movement. And you can rest assured, I will not sing this, but I will read it. I dreamt, I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing. Then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man and he was smiling as he came. He said, you were once my youth leader. I'm sure you can recall. My life was full of pain and hurt, so I thought I'd end it all. But one night you set me down and I poured out my heart to you. Then you shared the hope of Jesus. That's when my life was made new. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. Then another teen stood before me and said, remember the time? You trained your teens to share the gospel. That's when Jesus became mine. One of your teens was in my class and shared Jesus with me at school. It was in the cafeteria that day that my life was made brand new. For as the eyes could see one by one, they came each life somehow touched by the teens that you had trained. You mobilized your youth group. You sent them out to share all the seeds. Those teens sowed oh, the fruit that they would bear. Your faith, it sparked a movement as other youth leaders joined in to mobilize their teens for Jesus and rescue a generation from sin. The word spread around the globe, both online and face-to-face. These teens became unstoppable, sharing the message of God's grace. You turned and looked around you and tears, they filled your eyes. Millions of teens had now been saved by the simple message of Christ. As Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, he said, my child, look around you for great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Look at the lives that were changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. I'm so glad you gave. I'm so glad you gave. So glad you gave this time to come here this week to be with us. We have a big mountain to climb. We need a white, hot faith to climb it. But it will be worth it all when we hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we receive that crown and we look around us at the lives that were changed. Father, fill us with white, hot faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you were inspired by today's talk and Our challenge is this, would you become a gospel advancing leader? There is a movement that's changing the world. Jesus is our gospel advancing leader, but I want to define for you, what does that mean for you as a youth leader, a leader of youth? What is a gospel advancing leader? It's this, one who personally shares the gospel and mobilizes teenagers to do the same. So I challenge you to make that commitment. How do you do that? Go to gospeladvancing.org and click join now. And when you do that, you just you come in to this fraternity of youth leaders and pastors and moms and dads and even teenagers that are saying, Yes, we're going to personally share the gospel, we're going to mobilize teenagers to do the same. Listen, this whole movement is about changing the world. And what's going to do that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who does it faster than anybody? Teenagers. They come to Christ quicker, they spread the gospel. So I hope you've enjoyed today's episode uh, of the Greg Steer Youth Ministry Podcast. And remember, a youth ministry that changes the world is one that advances the gospel of Christ.